Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. It is going to be an amazing journey today. Hope you're ready for liftoff. We are live now. Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. It is an awesome day today, and we have a special guest, Eden. I love that name in healthcare. It's like joy. It's the best name um, for healthcare. And uh, she is the director of behavioral science at Impulse Mobile. And that's going to be a lot of our conversation today about behavior science and healthcare. She's going to really unpack that. And she's really excited about what she does. Um, she's part of the team that designs modern engagement programs that make healthy behaviors uh, cases easier to learn and that's due and to sustain. Eden is a self-proclaimed nerd that loves learning and doing research. She has a background in psychology and did her master's in public health with a focus in behavioral science at Boston University. She lives in Boston with her two French Bulldogs. And um, so, Eden, please share a little more about yourself. If there's anything else I uh, failed to, to mention, please, for our audience. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to be here today. Um, if I cough a few times, it's just that lovely uh, things going on in the world. Everyone's sick or coming out of sickness. Um, but. Like Michael said, my name is Eden Brunel. I am Director of Behavioral Science at Impulse Mobile, um, which is really all about uh, behavior change within healthcare and trying to close gaps in care when it comes to um, health plan members. Um, I had a tricky start into behavioral science. I originally was a theater major in college who quickly realized that I loved understanding the psychology of the main characters and their motivations and, and really I was more well suited to psychology because I am just a huge people watcher um, and I ended up in public health because I wanted to really help people at scale. Um, I always joke that empathy is my superpower but also my kryptonite so I needed to be at like a more macro level to be able to help people. Um, and yeah, love all things behavioral science and excited to chat about it today. Cool. Well, this is awesome. I feel really fortunate that we're here. I have to say, Reva, your colleague at Impost Mobile was like, you got to talk to this person. We had a great talk the, in the 2020-13, but Mike, you need to talk to our behavioral specialist, even. And she connected me and here you are. So this is great. So if you're out there, please, when you're hearing people talking with me, we always love a friendly, uh, hey, you should definitely talk. So Eden, you're here. I think also before we get going, I think it was really powerful that you shared your own mental, your, your own health journey, your own mental health journey. If you would just, you know, briefly, if you could uh, just share a little bit about that. I think that's so important today. Um, you know, even even just as important as post COVID or during COVID when we started having more conversations. But I'd love if you were uh, able to share some about that. Yeah, so I think during our first conversation, um, you had just acknowledged my LinkedIn post about my own sort of discovery and mental health journey um, of multiple years of sort of misdiagnosis or um, mismanaged medications and ultimately coming to the determination with my psychiatrist that I have bipolar 2. 
um, which anyone who's familiar with it um, knows that it can be quite a tricky diagnosis and quite a tricky thing to, to live with and manage and find the right combination of medications. So I think ultimately it only lended to a even more robust empathy for the members that I, you know, design solutions for every day. How do you try to understand mental health and behavioral health and the complexities of health insurance and um, finding medications and the cost of things? Um, it's just really brought a whole newfound like understanding of that to my perspective in my day to day work. Nice, nice. So um, with you uh, going back to behavioral science and healthcare, where where should we start with this topic? Yeah, um, I mean, maybe what is behavioral science um, versus behavioral health? I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding between the two. Um, and so behavioral health is going to be more similar to um, you know, behavioral health initiatives, mental health awareness, things like that. It's, you know, how do we just like we were just discussing with my, my diagnosis, um, how do you make sure that folks are being diagnosed, that they are being treated, um, that there are resources available. There's a lot of changes coming to HEDIS, Medicare, Medicaid in terms of behavioral health payment plans and, and things like that. So that's sort of behavioral health, mental health. Um, and behavioral science is actually the study of human behavior and is, is sort of a combination of a bunch of different disciplines, borrowing from psychology and sociology, behavioral economics, neuroscience, um, all of these things kind of playing together to understand why do people do what they do and why do they do things that maybe they shouldn't do. So um, it's especially relevant when it comes to healthcare, as you think about you know, okay, why don't we all go get our flu shot as I'm sitting here a little sick? Why don't we um, all get, you know, the cancer screenings at the times that are recommended? Um, and so behavioral science is really about unpacking some of that, unpacking the behavioral barriers that exist to members actually taking those actions and how do you understand them in order to overcome them? So I, I'm thinking of like, Facebook and social media, how it's like got so much data on us. And um, like, how is it that I imagine you're using similar data, uh, information gathering, but doing it in a good way, not in a surveillance way, right? So how do you separate? I, I like, I guess there's a lot of nudging, but you have to know your members. So maybe you could forgive me if I'm going down a rabbit hole redirect me. But uh, if I'm not, maybe you could just start with a little more unpacking that science. Yeah, of course. Um, so it, interesting that you say, you know, you bring up like the Facebooks and the social medias. Um, I always like to joke that I like to think of myself as sort of a good guy when it comes to applying behavioral science. Um, behavioral science is everywhere around you that you look. Um, it's just most of the time, if done well, not as recognized. I think people are getting more, um, you know, understanding that there are sort of these persuasion tactics all around them. But I mean, there's behavioral science teams at Netflix, at Amazon. Um, Netflix is obviously, you know, what behavior are they trying to change? They're trying to have you stay on Netflix as long as they can. Um, Amazon, they're trying to have you shop more. Um, I always 
when I'm trying to uh, show people behavioral science, I say one quick way to sort of look at, you know, a difference of a personalized difference is if you looked at my Amazon home screen versus maybe your own, um, the things that would pop up, obviously, based on, you know, our different search recommendations, but the way that they promote those items, even if we were to be looking for the same one, they might use different appeals or behavior change techniques or cognitive biases. Um, and so instead of just all the jargon, what what it, what does that mean? So, um, for example, social proof might be one. Um, uh, look like all these other people like you are buying X product, um, whereas authority bias appeal might be um, you know, this ex, this is expert recommended. And so based on all of the lessons learned about us, Amazon is basically using those appeals differently based on the person that they're up against. Um, so I might have a lot of social proof appeals because they've seen that that really nudges me, whereas you may get authority bias or, um, you know, there's too many actually cognitive biases. I think we're um, the most recent codex that I that we that they've shared is over 160. And I think they're coming up with new cognitive biases every day, which really isn't the full understanding of um, what behavioral science is, but it is sort of a way to quickly understand some of the applications of it. Um, and so that's really Amazon. And so for healthcare, how do we sort of be the good guys? So we're not trying to motivate you to buy more or watch more or anything like that. We are trying to get you more engaged in your healthcare. And how do we, you know, sort of outweigh the barriers that might be things like cost or, you know, transportation or time or just the, um, a lot of it is just not understanding the importance of it. So weighing it against other things that are right now in the moment, sort of a present bias, um, I have to fix my car. I don't want to think about managing my condition that I can't really think of the impacts because it's not going to impact me until the future. Um, how do we bring some of those things more into focus now? Um, and so that's a lot of what we will use data for. And a lot of our data is a lot different in healthcare. Um, we're sort of making sure we're compliant, following HIPAA. Um, and so the way we get at it is a lot more self-reported and listening to member responses. So at Mpulse Mobile, what I really liked about it when I got started is the platform and the natural language processing that we have that sits on it. Um, and so while we're running these campaigns and we've run like over, you know, millions of text messages and, you know, phone calls and emails um, over our SMS platform, we're listening to members. Um, so we are trying to understand the different pathways that they could take outside of what we even predicted. So like I said, behavioral science is trying to understand and know the barriers that members may face when it comes to a target behavior. So we will do our literature reviews, we'll do all the research before, we'll come up and assign sort of barriers and make sure that we have you know, messages associated with each so that if, if members fall down that. But the other beauty is what we learn from members themselves. So say maybe originally we didn't have transportation as a barrier for medication refills. Um, but we saw very quickly that when we asked members why they weren't refilling, they were saying, I don't have a car. I don't have a way to get there. I don't have time to go to the pharmacy. 
Um, and so things like that, we really start to analyze those topics that bubble up and then build it into our system so that next time it's not a sort of like, sorry, we don't understand you response or a generic, you know, call member services. It might be something more targeted based on the health plan's resources. So someone says they don't have a car. We're going to say, oh, well, do you know that most prescriptions can be delivered to your house or that you can get 90 day fills? Um, so we use data sort of in that way and more of an analysis of things that we're getting in real time in order to impact the behaviors that we're trying to drive. So, Eden, I'm hearing um, like two things. One is that you're using your system is real and it's dynamic and it's getting better with the data aggregation of the members and you're starting to see trends and then you can actually uh, input those uh, messages to do better. Um, and then the other thing that I'm curious about that I think is fascinating is it sounds like there's an art between the data uh, and the science of it and then the art of behavior science and, and sort of the, the softer, not that it's less technical, but I imagine you work with data scientists and different uh, uh, collaborative team members in order to make this thing happen. It's, it's to me, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, um, it's definitely a super collaborative area, area. I sit within product, which is great because how do we actually inform the pro in product and build in behavioral science from this from the get go. So things like this that um, there's uh, one of the really well known books in behavioral sciences, predictably irrational by Dan Ariely. And so in a lot of ways, how do we predict the, the human behaviors that we know are going to happen? So that's, again, coming from our literature reviews, coming from um, research that may have been done. So we're building in those into the solution design. So for any given target behavior, we are already making sure our system has sort of those predictable patterns baked in because most systems follow a happy path and then break down when they don't, when, when members don't follow the happy path, which, you know, not everyone's going to get a message and say, yes, I am going to get my colonoscopy right now. Um, we, you can't just build for that. It's not reality. And it comes into that like predictably irrational piece. Maybe everyone really wants to get their colonoscopies, but there's X, Y, C things going on. And so what we try to do is really from the get go, have an understanding of that have an understanding of also the behavioral science that's worked specific to that target behavior. So what are, you know, when it comes to colonoscopies and even a colon cancer test kit at home, it seems like something like, why aren't people signing up for that? They're free. You can do it at the convenience of your home. Um, we're going to mail it to you. But but still that, you know, we ran a test at, at Impulse around this and, you know, it was sort of the standard um, messaging do you you know do you want your kit yes or no and we saw pretty low opt-in rates um so this is where we started to think okay behavioral science what's been done out there in the world um we pulled from research done by katie milkman at um at upenn and um found that with vaccine hesitancy so an unrelated topic but how do you get people to get flu shots or covid shots um, there was a really robust uh, study that they did testing like over 20 something behavioral science appeals to see which ones impacted the behavior most. 
they ended up finding that if you said something similar to uh, a test is a vaccine has been reserved for you, like or you're you have a reserved vaccine test. So this idea of endowment effect, this is yours. If you don't use it, you're sort of missing out, which triggers another psychological concept that's pretty prevalent. And FOMO. Yes, FOMO, or the, I guess, more uh, jargony, loss aversion uh, term. And so we do not like losing things that are ours. If it's not yours, you're, you know, it's sort of like, okay, it's there. But as soon as it becomes yours, there's like, I don't want to lose that. Like, that is mine. Don't take it from me. Very built into, you know, human behavior. And so the simple act of, um, changing do you want to receive a colon test kit to do you want to receive your colon test kit and making it rather than yes no a sort of more you know active choice of yes i want to receive my test kit or no i don't want to receive my test kit we saw over a 10 percent lift in members who then said yes after receiving that message that was really powered by a subtle shift in language just understanding human behavior that um, members are more likely to, when they feel something's theirs, they don't want to miss out on it. Like you said, FOMO. <laughs> wow. I love that. That's scary. A 10% over millions of messages is a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when it comes to uh, something as important as colon cancer kits, you know, and getting tested for that, it's a big deal. And for um it's you know there's different levels of the equation so for me i'm so i'm interested in the science but i'm so interested in the actual human impact that that means of people getting um diagnosed earlier finding things um that may have turned into late stage diagnosis um and then but for clients that has a really real impact and um you know makes a difference to the roi of it all you know if you have more people um, not getting late stage and having all of those type of treatments and are able to diagnose it earlier and find it, you're improving your HEDIS rates and you're ultimately, you know, seeing cost savings from those type of initiatives. So AI, I think you've heard of that, generative AI. You've heard it too much, maybe a lot. And where where is behavioral science uh, intersection with generative AI, or AI? Are you guys doing anything with that right now? So I think I think behavioral science and generative AI in most industries is is happening. I think healthcare is going to be a little slower to adopt because of the, you know, the privacy concerns, the human interaction pieces. So although we have a system that's using machine learning, all of our responses have been thoughtfully sort of co-developed with a health plan versus something that you know, generative AI could spit out. If someone says, you know, I can't afford it, they might tell them to like, go get a job or, you know, who knows what's going to happen. It's going to say, a job, you know, site or say I don't yeah. have a car. They're going to send them car ads. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So we, we really, um, we we're using things to the best of our ability, but I think when it comes to human interaction, I, I'm pretty nervous about sort of the empathy of AI to to deliver that type of communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it seems it seems like you have already embedded in your software and your programs a lot of the 
stuff that's already been AI, already been the automation and, and the generative AI is just um, really not, not there yet and, and maybe not necessary for what you're doing. Yeah, we're, we're looking at it. Um, one of the other great tools that we have at Impulse is our engagement console. And so, you know, how do you actually, okay, we have automated text messages that we're really trying to make as, um, you know, real life as possible, but, you know, nothing's as real as actually communicating with someone. And so our engagement console is really where we can send certain Maybe we find while we're trying to reach out for colonoscopy screenings that we have a whole group that says, I need help scheduling. I tried, I couldn't, like all these things that bubble up to this. They need someone real time to help them. Those we could then put into sort of like a bundle that would go into engagement console, which is where actual real members of the health plan staff can interact with them. So this is an engaged person. This is someone that wants to be active in their healthcare. So it's sort of saving a lot of that outbound dialing that you know health plans may may currently be doing. Um, and so part of where we think generative AI could be interesting mm -hmm. is just in the messages and workflows that base that could help come up. So it would be what so someone could come in and they're i need help scheduling and i and i don't can't afford it or stuff and so we could have built-in sort of generative ai cost responses but that would always need that human can kind of copy and paste mm -hmm. it but like edit it mm -hmm. um and so is there sort of just a speed to do something that could be improved versus um allowing it to handle the interaction all on its own yeah, sort of like a, a safeguarding, kind of like a, um, a a supervision of it before sending. So just sort of auto, like um, you know, a solution or a way to help increase that worker's creativity or, or or kind of the tools. But in the end, they're still pressing that button, if you would. Right, right, because it could be. Maybe it's just pulling on the knowledge of all the interactions it's had, but it could be, you know, they have multiple case managers and said case manager doesn't know about X, Y incidents that another case manager dealt with, but the system does. And so it could be sort of, this is how a similar scenario was handled um, when a similar response came in. And so being able, apologize for my... No, no, we love dogs. I have two dogs, and if we don't get a dog scratching on the door, we're not doing a real planetary right. health first. So, like um, on yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> or or Amazon comes to to deliver a package, right? Um, but anyway, we are here on planetary health first, and we love your two what French uh, bulldogs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So those bulldogs are good. So tell me what what uh, resources I think would be awesome, too, is we don't want you to give away your special sauce. Obviously, there's algorithms, there's the proprietary stuff that you work on with Impulse Mobile. But what I think would be great is there's probably people out there, a community of behavioral scientists or behavioral scientists, one of, you know, students or um, but, you know, there's people out there within healthcare that would love some of these resources that are maybe uh, leaders, operation leaders at companies. And so uh, after this, it would be great if you could, if there's some resources you might want to share, 
um, or even some books that you love. Uh, and yeah, if like, you want to share guess, anything that's coming up to bubble up now, let me know. Yeah. Um, I, um, from previous webinars, I've sort of created a, you pick your adventure kind of resources, knowing that some people like books, some like podcasts, some like newsletters. So there's definitely sort of a adventure for everyone. Um, one of my, my favorite two books that are right near me. So I'll bring them up because, um, they're two of my favorite ladies also in, beha in behavioral science, but one is Amy Boucher. Um, and this book has been written in and doodled, um, and it's engaged and designing for behavior change. She talks quite a bit about different, um, products and their application. There are quite a few healthcare examples in here. Um, and then another that just does a really great job because one of the things of behavioral science is people can sometimes make it so jargony that you're like, well, okay, but what does that look like in the day to day? And so that's kind of why I try to bring down, you know, endowment effect and loss aversion with the colonoscopy example. Um, and so Nancy Harhut, who um, does using behavioral science and marketing. So this one is just each chapter. It's kind of taking a different um, sort of behavior change technique and actual examples of how to apply it and sort of the increase she's seen from various case studies that she's done. So those are really great ones just based on my bookshelf here of um, the, some of the books that I, you know, have read and go back to frequently. Is there a conference that you attend regularly, like annually of like the behavioral scientist nerds? <laughs> Us nerds. Um, so <laughs> I, so there is um, Nudge, which is um, actually out of, um, I think it's Ogilvy that started it, Rory Sutherland. So very much like advertising, which is sort of the way I sort of learned my beginning of behavioral science was advertising. How do you get people to do a thing? It's exactly what advertising is all about. So there's that and I'm blanking on, um, I'm blanking on the other one. So I can add that to my resources after, but a lot of them are virtual conferences that I attend. Um, and there's a few other that are research related um, as well that mm -hmm. I can send over. And I want our audience to know, I referred you to as nerd because you in the bio, if you just jumped on, this is how you refer to yourself. Okay. I'm not, and nerd is a cool thing. Nerd is empowerment. I guess 20 or 30 or 50 years ago was something else. So nerds are super cool. Oh, totally. I, um, I, yeah, I am, I say it all the time. I'm a nerd. I get brought in usually to nerd out on topics. Um, I'm super passionate about what I do and, um, the, so I am always wanting to learn more about, you know, how can I do it better? Um, and so there's definitely a lot of resources out there. Um, and even for anyone that's listening to this, I try to regularly take calls and video chats with students and folks that are trying to understand like, well, that sounds really cool. How do I get involved? Um, I had someone attend a conference uh, that I was doing a workshop at and they later reached out and was like, my daughter's really interested in this. Uh, she saw some of the materials. Can can she meet with you? And so I really love that because I know myself, I, I was a little lost when I was just a psychology major and where am I going to go? And I've landed in a place that I really love. And so um, if others are you know passionate in the same way, I'm always happy to try to help navigate the tricky world of you know careers. <laughs> no, that's great. Now, Eden, is there um, with your discipline and your subject, is there 
some that is more on the technical side, like like really digging deep into the um, data stuff, doing that, or is it a, a broad discipline? Tell me a little bit about the discipline itself, kind of the tools and techniques. Yeah, so I'd say like there's definitely um, sort of like a, you can do it all of the behavioral science, but I feel like a lot of the time there's also um, behavioral data sciences. So at our company, we actually, um, Julia Donald, uh, I'll give her a little, uh, she's a little uh, genius, <laughs> is the best way to put it, data nerd, um, and she would not deny that. Um, she really helps us analyze okay, um, if we're going to come up with the sort of control group and the test group, how do we make sure that those are, you know, all the things randomized? How do we then analyze the outcomes for like true sort of impact? What did we, what did the intervention actually do once you sort of pull out the rest? Um, and so I feel like within behavioral scientists, there's definitely, you can go more of a quantitative way or qualitative. Um, I feel like I kind of sit in the middle. I am not great at manipulating uh, Excel tables and things like that. I am just really good at knowing what to ask of the data. Um, and so how do how do I make it sort of tell a story or how do I um, shape it in a way to, you know, be able to, to find out answers? Um, I, think, so I, I think I just gave you a new title. You are a data behavioral maestro conductor. So you are not the violinist but you're the conductor and maestro of all things behavioral science. Love it. I'm going to just change my LinkedIn headline right now. <laughs> People are going to well, be like, what is that? I'm like, yeah. watch the show. You'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's what I was thinking. Just, I, I don't know if you saw Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein with maestro. That was just, anyway, that was a Netflix <laughs> thing. So anyway, I was just thinking of, you know, um, but so Tell me about you. You have you, you have your two dogs. You do you drink tea? You drink coffee? What what do you do when you're not doing behave? I know you're probably doing a lot of that offline too because you're thinking, living, and breathing this. But um, you know, tell our audience just a little bit about you yourself. Yeah. Um, so I'm drinking tea. I had to give up coffee. Um, just, just giving me all kinds of belly issues. So we're, we're, we're on to chai lattes. Um, and, uh, I do love to read, but I'm not always reading the, you know, my nerd books. Um, but I do love to read, um, more psychology thrillers <laughs> who did it kind of things. I'm always trying to, I guess, um, probably uncover the ending before, um, the ending. Um, I think like most people do, um, I, I, yes, I definitely read a lot of books and I'm actually a big gamer, which surprises a lot of people. So uh, I'll say that I had two brothers and grew up with a lot of video games. And um, I just recently got the uh, new meta quest. So I am exploring all things VR. Um, and I have to say VR and healthcare is the next thing I'm waiting for. I think that they've tapped mm -hmm. into vr and um fitness and so part of it is like they have really fun i i got one of the fitness type of ones where you're boxing and um but i'm really interested in how vr can be used for uh, recovery or you know mm -hmm. are there different ways that vr can be used in healthcare that that haven't really been tapped into yet 
Um, so there I go, bringing my personal yeah. into how does this translate to my work? <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I'm glad I asked that. I almost thought, well, gee, so you need to stop. You need to focus, Michael, because that's one of my problems. I don't I'm all I'm kind of the creative type. But um, I'm glad I asked that because VR is fascinating. I know there's some drawback right now. I was talking to someone recently, the last week or so i forget the conversation exactly but it sounds like the nausea has not been there is a side effect of that if if i'm hearing that has made the adoption a little challenging because you have to go through a period to kind of be okay with that that mm -hmm. that feeling i don't know that's what i was told that that that's one of the issues with preventing the adoption yeah and i i wonder if they've looked at like is it a bigger um, sort of adoption curve for folks who regularly play games or not? I wonder if there's a, a bigger sort of, you know, because even like a video game that's really intense and moving and things like that. Like if I bring that out in front of friends that are never played a video game, they're like, what is happening? Just total uh, overload of things. But, um, but I do, I did notice myself when playing, you know, it's just because it's, it's this whole thing. And, it's also like the safety of it. Like you, you, it does this whole thing to outline your area of play, but it's still, I'm always like, where's the real world? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's definitely adjustment. I, I imagine there, the adoption rate is much more uh, faster uptick or whatever your words are with behavioral science with the gamers. It seems like that is the pocket where there is really stickiness. And it, that's probably, you're absolutely right. Um, I don't want to go too far down. I'm trying to redirect, um, you know, this behavioral science topic. Um, I think this has been great. I'm so glad you're on. Um, I, I am. I really, and I'm going to say it again, Reva. Thank you, your your colleague Reva, that uh, with Impulse Mobile that recommended having you on. She's so right. You. Uh, I feel like this could just be a series of four parts or three parts on behavioral science, and we're just getting started. The other thing that I am curious about is, like, what conference do you have a conference on your radar? I know you shared behavioral science, but just in general, a healthcare conference that you are going to be attending that you find value in 2024? Yeah, so I think our team is sort of reviewing right now what um, will, where we'll go and what we'll attend. I've attended a few in the past um, that um, I found helpful, but I think still trying to find which one is like really for the behavioral science side of it. Um, and uh, it's also trying to bring bring it to conferences that maybe haven't had it yet. So I think they're, you know, healthcare behavioral science in healthcare, even texting in healthcare is relatively still new and something that folks are adopting. Um, but when I have been at conferences and um, even at our, we do a conference and Pulse does activate. And at that, we re-ran a couple behavioral science workshops this past year. And, and it really resonated with folks. I think it just it makes sense. It's all wrapped around human behavior. Even when you're acknowledging and understanding, we did sort of a barriers analysis type of workshop. And I think as you're uncovering them, you see even within those barriers, like your own barriers and objections that you've had to those health activities. Um, and so there's just that sort of common sense to it. Um, 
But in terms of this year, I think I'm a little behind on um, figuring out where I want to go, healthcare ones. But I did have it as my New Year's resolution to be better at um, sort of applying to speak at at conferences Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, I've just started doing it recently and I really enjoy talking about all things science. (laughs) Yeah, I think that would be great. I think you'd make a great speaker for all things. Everyone in healthcare, I mean you're you're it's a specific topic but it's general enough to attract a wide audience because that's all we're trying to do mm-hmm. the 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 final sphere in healthcare is behavior science sustainable change like you know how can you get people to continue to do what they're supposed to be doing i don't care what it is but that's what you are in and so people would really uh, just like I've sought after you, Eden, to, to have just a nugget of your wisdom here on the show. So, um, you know, we have not done a good job in healthcare with, you know, talking about obesity, diabetes, talking about all the things that we know, exercise. Those are the things that are needed by, and I'm sure you can make a huge impact with people with your science. So, Yeah, I think that, you know, there's within behavioral science and and folks, um, I may actually lift, uh, my dog is, is crying right now and is going to end up being in this. So I'll show him quick on our screen so everyone, everyone can see the little man behind the madness. He's yeah. Just so that is guy. that is behavioral <laughs> science at its work. The power of the smile and the empathetic uh, <laughs> dogs have on our owners. They're They're pretty powerful how they can get us to do things, right? He just like can't get his little legs. He can't get up on the bed on his own. So he's like, yeah. he'll just start crying. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's got to be a yeah. behavioral aspect to that. Well, um, we're kind of coming I, towards the end, Eden. This has been great. Um, anything else that you think would be all things behavioral science that, that you think would be important to let our audience know? Um, I'd say uh, there is so much out there to definitely learn about behavioral science. Um, we have been sort of, you know, studying different behavior change techniques and things and how you can apply them within healthcare. Obviously, the endowment effect was an example. We've tried to do social proof as it relates to women getting mammographies. Um, we've done loss aversion when it comes to um, diabetes and eye exams. And obviously, that's another one where it's folks are not thinking about maybe the long term repercussions of not getting screened now, not having well-managed um, diabetes and things. So we we explored sort of how do we bring that future state to you, especially as it comes to, um, you know, populations with diabetes. How do you, um, with their, with eye health, it's one of those, there are, um, it's encouraged to have a yearly eye exam for diabetic retinopathy. And, um, folks won't will put it off but it's you know really meant to uncover things before they become a total issue before you're starting to have you know cataracts or complete loss of vision and so part of what we we did in one of our one of our videos was actually sort of showing you know you're watching this video as if it's you know through your perspective and you're watching like a a baby like playing and learning to like take its first steps and all of a sudden there's sort of black spots coming up on the screen or blurred vision and and then it sort of ends with like you know just a total like blackout of like you know you you can't see things anymore and so how do you really overcome present bias to show 
what a future reality look like if you if you don't do the the behavior now. And so we're always looking for taking these concepts and playing them out and experimenting with them. And I think that's what keeps me fascinated about behavioral science um, and especially within healthcare because there seems to be so much use for it um, and that hasn't been explored yet. So I think there it's a fun place to dig in and uh, I'll share resources after with you so you can get them out to the audience. But it's definitely a fun place to be. <laughs> yeah, no, this has been great. I'm so glad we were able to coordinate a time. It's not always easy with work and all the other uh, commitments. And thank you for your flexibility, but your persistence and and um, and saying yes. And uh, so I I, um, I think if there's last takeoffs with behavioral science, anything that uh, you can think of, uh, any last thoughts? Um, I'd say behavioral sciences as we're, we just went through the new year. I think behavioral science is really interesting, even as you think of your own self-development and um, uh, things that you can do to impact your day-to-day. Um, it it's Katie Milkman wrote a book um, about like ways to change and it's as you hear about New Year's, you keep hearing about like there's this concept of the fresh start effect, which is really pulling from behavioral science, um, that it's a great time to start new things. Or it could be your birthday or it's the start of the new month or a start of a new week. You know, people will find these milestones and that really all comes back to behavioral science and important times and commitments. Um, and so I think even behavioral science can be applied to all the industries, but it can also be really impactful and everyone's day-to-day life. So, so just I, go out and learn. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think that's a great spot to finish. Uh, this has been so awesome having you on. Friends, it has been a great journey today on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Follow us for more on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Until next time, peace be with you.